Chapter 7, Part C of The Wealth of Nations, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Book 4, Chapter 7, Part C of Colonies. Among the non-enumerated commodities are some of the most important productions of America and the West Indies, grain of all sorts, lumber, salt provisions, fish, sugar, and rum. Grain is naturally the first and principal object of the culture of all new colonies. By allowing them a very extensive market for it, the law encourages them to extend this culture much beyond the consumption of a thinly inhabited country and thus to provide beforehand an ample subsistence for a continually increasing population. In a country quite covered with wood, where timber consequently is of little or no value, the expense of clearing the ground is the principal obstacle to improvement. By allowing the colonies a very extensive market for their lumber, the law endeavors to facilitate improvement by raising the price of a commodity which would otherwise be of little value, and thereby enabling them to make some profit of what would otherwise be mere expense. In a country neither half-peopled nor half-cultivated, cattle naturally multiply beyond the consumption of the inhabitants, and are often upon that account of little or no value. But it is necessary, it has already been shown, that the price of cattle should bear a certain proportion to that of corn, before the greater part of the lands of any country can be improved. By allowing to American cattle, in all shapes, dead and alive, a very extensive market, the law endeavors to raise the value of a commodity, of which the high price is so very essential to improvement. The good effects of this liberty, however, must be somewhat diminished by the fourth of George Third, C. 15, which puts hides and skins among the enumerated commodities, and thereby tends to reduce the value of American cattle. To increase the shipping and naval power of Great Britain by the extension of the fisheries of our colonies is an object which the legislature seems to have had almost constantly in view. Those fisheries, upon this account, have had all the encouragement which freedom can give them, and they have flourished accordingly. The New England fishery in particular was, before the late disturbances, one of the most important, perhaps, in the world. The whale fishery, which, notwithstanding an extravagant bounty, is in Great Britain carried on to so little purpose that in the opinion of many people, which I do not, however, pretend to warrant, the whole produce does not much exceed the value of the bounties which are annually paid for it, is in New England carried on without any bounty to a very great extent. Fish is one of the principal articles with which the North Americans trade to Spain, Portugal, and the Mediterranean. Sugar was originally an enumerated commodity which could only be exported to Great Britain. But in 1751, upon a representation of the sugar planters, its exportation was permitted to all parts of the world. The restrictions, however, with which this liberty was granted, joined to the high price of sugar in Great Britain, have rendered it, in a great measure, ineffectual. Great Britain and her colonies still continue to be almost the sole market for all sugar produced in the British plantations. Their consumption increases so fast that, though in consequence of the increase and improvement of Jamaica, as well as of the ceded islands, the importation of sugar has increased very greatly within these twenty years, the exportation to foreign countries is said to be not much greater than before. Rum is a very important article in the trade which the Americans carry on to the coast of Africa, 
from which they bring back negro slaves in return if the whole surplus produce of america in grain of all sorts in salt provisions and in fish had been put into the enumeration and thereby forced into the market of great britain it would have interfered too much with the produce of the industry of our own people it was probably not so much from any regard to the interests of america as from a jealousy of this interference that those important commodities have not only been kept out of the enumeration but that the importation into great britain of all grain except rice and of all salt provisions has in the ordinary state of the law been prohibited the non-enumerated commodities could originally be exported to all parts of the world lumber and rice having been once put into the enumeration when they were afterwards taken out of it were confined as to the european market to the countries that lie south of cape finisterra by the sixth of george the third c fifty two all non-enumerated commodities were subjected to the like restriction the parts of europe which lie south of cape finisterra are not manufacturing countries and we are less jealous of the colony ships carrying home from them any manufactures which could interfere with our own the enumerated commodities are of two sorts first such as are either the peculiar produce of america or as cannot be produced or at least are not produced in the mother country of this kind are molasses coffee cocoa-nuts tobacco pimento ginger whale fins raw silk cotton wool beaver and other peltry of america indigo fustic and other dying woods secondly such as are not the peculiar produce of america but which are and may be produced in the mother country though not in such quantities as to supply the greater part of her demand which is principally supplied from foreign countries of this kind are all naval stores masts yards and bowsprits tar pitch and turpentine pig and bar iron copper ore hides and skins pot and pearl ashes the largest importation of commodities of the first kind could not discourage the growth or interfere with the sale of any part of the produce of the mother country by confining them to the home market our merchants it was expected would not only be enabled to buy them cheaper in the plantations and consequently to sell them with a better profit at home but to establish between the plantations and foreign countries an advantageous carrying trade of which great britain was necessarily to be the centre or emporium as the european country into which those commodities were first to be imported the importation of commodities of the second kind might be so managed too it was supposed as to interfere not with the sale of those of the same kind which were produced at home but with that of those which were imported from foreign countries because by means of proper duties they might be rendered always somewhat dearer than the former and yet a good deal cheaper than the latter by confining such commodities to the home market therefore it was proposed to discourage the produce not of great britain but of some foreign countries with which the balance of trade was believed to be unfavourable to great britain the prohibition of exporting from the colonies to any other country but great britain masts yards and bowsprits tar pitch and turpentine naturally tended to lower the price of timber in the colonies and consequently to increase the expense of clearing their lands the principal obstacle to their improvement but about the beginning of the present century in seventeen o three the pitch and tar company of sweden endeavoured to raise the price of their commodities to great britain by prohibiting their exportation except in their own ships at their own price and in such quantities as they thought proper 
in order to counteract this notable piece of mercantile policy and to render herself as much as possible independent not only of sweden but of all the other northern powers great britain gave a bounty upon the importation of naval stores from america and the effect of this bounty was to raise the price of timber in america much more than the confinement to the home market could lower it and as both regulations were enacted at the same time their joint effect was rather to encourage than to discourage the clearing of land in america though pig and bar iron too have been put among the enumerated commodities yet as when imported from america they are exempted from considerable duties to which they are subject when imported from any other country the one part of the regulation contributes more to encourage the erection of furnaces in america than the other to discourage it there is no manufacture which occasions so great a consumption of wood as a furnace or which can contribute so much to the clearing of a country overgrown with it the tendency of some of these regulations to raise the value of timber in america and thereby to facilitate the clearing of the land was neither perhaps intended nor understood by the legislature though their beneficial effects however have been in this respect accidental they have not upon that account been less real the most perfect freedom of trade is permitted between the british colonies of america and the west indies both in the enumerated and in the non-enumerated commodities those colonies are now become so populous and thriving that each of them finds in some of the others a great and extensive market for every part of its produce all of them taken together they make a great internal market for the produce of one another the liberality of england however towards the trade of her colonies has been confined chiefly to what concerns the market for their produce either in its rude state or in what may be called the very first stage of manufacture the more advanced or more refined manufactures even of the colony produce the merchants and manufacturers of great britain choose to reserve to themselves and have prevailed upon the legislature to prevent their establishment in the colonies sometimes by high duties and sometimes by absolute prohibitions while for example muscovado sugars from the british plantations pay upon importation only six shillings fourpence the hundredweight white sugars pay one pound one shilling one pence and refined either double or single in loaves four pound two shillings five pence and eight twentieths when those high duties were imposed great britain was the sole and she still continues to be the principal market to which the sugars of the british colonies could be exported they amounted therefore to a prohibition at first of claying or refining sugar for any foreign market and at present of claying or refining it for the market which takes off perhaps more than nine-tenths of the whole produce the manufacture of claying or refining sugar accordingly though it has flourished in all the sugar colonies of france has been little cultivated in any of those of england except for the market of the colonies themselves while grenada was in the hands of the french there was a refinery of sugar by claying at least upon almost every plantation since it fell into those of the english almost all works of this kind have been given up and there are at present october seventeen seventy three i am assured not above two or three remaining in the island at present however by an indulgence of the custom-house clayed or refined sugar if reduced from loaves into powder is commonly imported as muscovado while great britain encourages in america the manufacturing of pig and bar iron by exempting them from duties to which the like commodities are subject when imported from any other country 
she imposes an absolute prohibition upon the erection of steel furnaces and slit mills in any of her american plantations she will not suffer her colonies to work in those more refined manufactures even for their own consumption but insists upon their purchasing of her merchants and manufacturers all goods of this kind which they have occasion for she prohibits the exportation from one province to another by water and even the carriage by land upon horseback or in a cart of hats of wools and woollen goods of the produce of america a regulation which effectually prevents the establishment of any manufacture of such commodities for distant sale and confines the industry of her colonists in this way to such coarse and household manufactures as a private family commonly makes for its own use or for that of some of its neighbors in the same province to prohibit a great people however from making all that they can of every part of their own produce or from employing their stock and industry in the way that they judge most advantageous to themselves is a manifest violation of the most sacred rights of mankind unjust however as such prohibitions may be they have not hitherto been very hurtful to the colonies land is still so cheap and consequently labor so dear among them that they can import from the mother country almost all the more refined or more advanced manufactures cheaper than they could make them for themselves though they had not therefore been prohibited from establishing such manufactures yet in their present state of improvement a regard to their own interest would probably have prevented them from doing so in their present state of improvement those prohibitions perhaps without cramping their industry or restraining it from any employment to which it would have gone of its own accord are only impertinent badges of slavery imposed upon them without any sufficient reason by the groundless jealousy of the merchants and manufacturers of the mother country in a more advanced state they might be really oppressive and insupportable great britain too as she confines to her own market some of the most important productions of the colonies so in compensation she gives to some of them an advantage in that market sometimes by imposing higher duties upon the like productions when imported from other countries and sometimes by giving bounties upon their importation from the colonies in the first way she gives an advantage in the home market to the sugar tobacco and iron of her own colonies and in the second to their raw silk to their hemp and flax, to their indigo, to their naval stores, and to their building timber. This second way of encouraging the colony produce, by bounties upon importation, is, so far as I have been able to learn, peculiar to Great Britain. The first is not. Portugal does not content herself with imposing higher duties upon the importation of tobacco from any other country, but prohibits it under the severest penalties with regard to the importation of goods from europe england has likewise dealt more liberally with her colonies than any other nation great britain allows a part almost always the half generally a larger portion and sometimes the whole of the duty which is paid upon the importation of foreign goods to be drawn back upon their exportation to any foreign country no independent foreign country it was easy to foresee would receive them if they came to it loaded with the heavy duties to which almost all foreign goods are subjected on their importation into great britain unless therefore some part of those duties was drawn back upon exportation there was an end of the carrying trade a trade so much favored by the mercantile system our colonies however are by no means independent foreign countries 
and great britain having assumed to herself the exclusive right of supplying them with all goods from europe might have forced them in the same manner as other countries have done their colonies to receive such goods loaded with all the same duties which they paid in the mother country but on the contrary till seventeen sixty three the same drawbacks were paid upon the exportation of the greater part of foreign goods to our colonies as to any independent foreign country in seventeen sixty three indeed by the fourth of george the third c fifteen this indulgence was a good deal abated and it was enacted that no part of the duty called the old subsidy should be drawn back for any goods of the growth production or manufacture of europe or the east indies which should be exported from this kingdom to any british colony or plantation in america wines white calicoes and muslins excepted before this law many different sorts of foreign goods might have been bought cheaper in the plantations than in the mother country and some may still of the greater part of the regulations concerning the colony trade the merchants who carry it on it must be observed have been the principal advisers we must not wonder therefore if in a great part of them their interest has been more considered than either that of the colonies or that of the mother country in their exclusive privilege of supplying the colonies with all the goods which they wanted from europe and of purchasing all such parts of their surplus produce as could not interfere with any of the trades which they themselves carried on at home the interest of the colonies was sacrificed to the interest of those merchants in allowing the same drawbacks upon the re-exportation of the greater part of european and east india goods to the colonies as upon their re-exportation to any independent country the interest of the mother country was sacrificed to it even according to the mercantile ideas of that interest it was for the interest of the merchants to pay as little as possible for the foreign goods which they sent to the colonies and consequently to get back as much as possible of the duties which they advanced upon their importation into great britain they might thereby be enabled to sell in the colonies either the same quantity of goods with a greater profit or a greater quantity with the same profit and consequently to gain something either in the one way or the other it was likewise for the interest of the colonies to get all such goods as cheap and in as great abundance as possible but this might not always be for the interest of the mother country she might frequently suffer both in her revenue by giving back a great part of the duties which had been paid upon the importation of such goods and in her manufactures by being undersold in the colony market in consequence of the easy terms upon which foreign manufactures could be carried thither by means of those drawbacks the progress of the linen manufacture of great britain it is commonly said has been a good deal retarded by the drawbacks upon the re-exportation of german linen to the american colonies but though the policy of great britain with regard to the trade of her colonies has been dictated by the same mercantile spirit as that of other nations it has however upon the whole been less illiberal and oppressive than that of any of them in everything except their foreign trade the liberty of the english colonists to manage their own affairs their own way is complete it is in every respect equal to that of their fellow-citizens at home and is secured in the same manner by an assembly of the representatives of the people who claim the sole right of imposing taxes for the support of the colony government the authority of this assembly overawes the executive power and neither the meanest nor the most obnoxious colonist as long as he obeys the law has anything to fear from the resentment either of the governor or of any other civil or military officer in the province 
the colony assemblies though like the house of commons in england they are not always a very equal representation of the people yet they approach more nearly to that character and as the executive power either has not the means to corrupt them or on account of the support which it receives from the mother country is not under the necessity of doing so they are perhaps in general more influenced by the inclinations of their constituents the councils which in the colony legislatures correspond to the house of lords in great britain are not composed of a hereditary nobility in some of the colonies as in three of the governments of new england those councils are not appointed by the king but chosen by the representatives of the people in none of the english colonies is there any hereditary nobility in all of them indeed as in all other free countries the descendant of an old colony family is more respected than an upstart of equal merit and fortune but he is only more respected and he has no privileges by which he can be troublesome to his neighbors before the commencement of the present disturbances the colony assemblies had not only the legislative but a part of the executive power in connecticut and rhode island they elected the governor in the other colonies they appointed the revenue officers who collected the taxes imposed by those respective assemblies to whom those officers were immediately responsible there is more equality therefore among the english colonists than among the inhabitants of the mother country their manners are more republican and the governments those of three of the provinces of new england in particular have hitherto been more republican too the absolute governments of spain portugal and france on the contrary take place in their colonies and the discretionary powers which such governments commonly delegate to all their inferior officers are on account of the great distance naturally exercised there with more than ordinary violence under all absolute governments there is more liberty in the capital than in any other part of the country the sovereign himself can never have either interest or inclination to pervert the order of justice or to oppress the great body of the people in the capital his presence overalls more or less all his inferior officers who in the remoter provinces from whence the complaints of the people are less likely to reach him can exercise their tyranny with much more safety but the european colonies in america are more remote than the most distant provinces of the greatest empires which had ever been known before the government of the english colonies is perhaps the only one which since the world began could give perfect security to the inhabitants of so very distant a province the administration of the french colonies however has always been conducted with much more gentleness and moderation than that of the spanish and portuguese this superiority of conduct is suitable both to the character of the french nation and to what forms the character of every nation the nature of their government which though arbitrary and violent in comparison with that of great britain is legal and free in comparison with those of spain and portugal it is in the progress of the north american colonies however that the superiority of the english policy chiefly appears the progress of the sugar colonies of france has been at least equal perhaps superior to that of the greater part of those of england and yet the sugar colonies of england enjoy a free government nearly of the same kind with that which takes place in her colonies of north america but the sugar colonies of france are not discouraged like those of england from refining their own sugar and what is still of greater importance the genius of their government naturally introduces a better management of their negro slaves in all european colonies the culture of the sugar-cane is carried on by negro slaves 
the constitution of those who have been born in the temperate climate of europe could not it is supposed support the labour of digging the ground under the burning sun of the west indies and the culture of the sugar-cane as it is managed at present is all hand labour though in the opinion of many the drill-plough might be introduced into it with great advantage but as the profit and success of the cultivation which is carried on by means of cattle depend very much upon the good management of those cattle so the profit and success of that which is carried on by slaves must depend equally upon the good management of those slaves and in the good management of their slaves the french planters i think it is generally allowed are superior to the english the law so far as it gives some weak protection to the slave against the violence of his master is likely to be better executed in a colony where the government is in a great measure arbitrary than in one where it is altogether free in every country where the unfortunate law of slavery is established the magistrate when he protects the slave intermeddles in some measure in the management of the private property of the master and in a free country where the master is perhaps either a member of the colony assembly or an elector of such a member he dares not do this but with the greatest caution and circumspection the respect which he is obliged to pay to the master renders it more difficult for him to protect the slave but in a country where the government is in a great measure arbitrary, where it is usual for the magistrate to intermeddle even in the management of the private property of individuals, and to send them perhaps a lettre de cachet, if they do not manage it according to his liking, it is much easier for him to give some protection to the slave, and common humanity naturally disposes him to do so. The protection of the magistrate renders the slave less contemptible in the eyes of his master, who is thereby induced to consider him with more regard and to treat him with more gentleness. Gentle usage renders the slave not only more faithful, but more intelligent, and therefore upon a double account is more useful. He approaches more to the condition of a free servant, and may possess some degree of integrity and attachment to his master's interests virtues which frequently belong to free servants but which can never belong to a slave who is treated as slaves commonly are in countries where the master is perfectly free and secure that the condition of a slave is better under an arbitrary than under a free government is i believe supported by the history of all ages and nations in the roman history the first time we read of the magistrate interposing to protect the slave from the violence of his master is under the emperors when vidius polio in the presence of augustus ordered one of his slaves who had committed a slight fault to be cut into pieces and thrown into his fish-pond in order to feed his fishes the emperor commanded him with indignation to emancipate immediately not only that slave but all the others that belonged to him under the republic no magistrate could have had authority enough to protect the slave much less to punish the master the stock it is to be observed which has improved the sugar colonies of france particularly the great colony of st domingo has been raised almost entirely from the gradual improvement and cultivation of those colonies it has been almost altogether the produce of the soil and of the industry of the colonists or what comes to the same thing the price of that produce gradually accumulated by good management and employed in raising a still greater produce but the stock which has improved and cultivated the sugar colonies of england has a great part of it been sent out from england and has by no means been altogether the produce of the soil and industry of the colonists 
the prosperity of the english sugar colonies has been in a great measure owing to the great riches of england of which a part has overflowed if one may say so upon these colonies but the prosperity of the sugar colonies of france has been entirely owing to the good conduct of the colonists which must therefore have had some superiority over that of the english and this superiority has been remarked in nothing so much as in the good management of their slaves such have been the general outlines of the policy of the different european nations with regard to their colonies the policy of europe therefore has very little to boast of either in the original establishment or so far as concerns their internal government in the subsequent prosperity of the colonies of america folly and injustice seem to have been the principles which presided over and directed the first project of establishing those colonies the folly of hunting after gold and silver mines and the injustice of coveting the possession of a country whose harmless natives far from having ever injured the people of europe had received the first adventurers with every mark of kindness and hospitality the adventurers indeed who formed some of the latter establishments joined to the chimerical project of finding gold and silver mines other motives more reasonable and more laudable but even these motives do very little honor to the policy of europe the english puritans restrained at home fled for freedom to america and established there the four governments of new england the english catholics treated with much greater injustice established that of maryland the quakers that of pennsylvania the portuguese jews persecuted by the inquisition stripped of their fortunes and banished to brazil introduced by their example some sort of order and industry among the transported felons and strumpets by whom that colony was originally peopled and taught them the culture of the sugar-cane upon all these different occasions it was not the wisdom and policy but the disorder and injustice of the european government which peopled and cultivated america in effectuation some of the most important of these establishments the different governments of europe had as little merit as in projecting them the conquest of mexico was the project not of the council of spain but of a governor of cuba and it was effectuated by the spirit of the bold adventurer to whom it was entrusted in spite of everything which that governor who soon repented of having trusted such a person could do to thwart it the conquerors of chile and peru and of almost all the other spanish settlements upon the continent of america carried out with them no other public encouragement but a general permission to make settlements and conquests in the name of the king of spain those adventures were all at the private risk and expense of the adventurers the government of spain contributed scarce anything to any of them that of england contributed as little towards effectuating the establishment of some of its most important colonies in north america when those establishments were effectuated and had become so considerable as to attract the attention of the mother country the first regulations which she made with regard to them had always in view to secure to herself the monopoly of their commerce to confine their market and to enlarge her own at their expense and consequently rather to damp and discourage than to quicken and forward the course of their prosperity in the different ways in which this monopoly has been exercised consists one of the most essential differences in the policy of the different european nations with regard to their colonies the best of them all that of england is only somewhat less illiberal and oppressive than that of any of the rest 
In what way, therefore, has the policy of Europe contributed either to the first establishment or to the present grandeur of the colonies of America? In one way, and in one way only, it has contributed a good deal. Magna verum mater. It bred and formed the men who were capable of achieving such great actions, and of laying the foundation of so great an empire. And there is no other quarter of the world of which the policy is capable of forming, or has ever actually, and in fact, formed such men. The colonies owe to the policy of Europe the education and great views of their active and enterprising founders, and some of the greatest and most important of them, so far as concerns their internal government, owe to it scarce anything else. End of Book 4, Chapter 7, Part C